Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Obadiah's vision. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, in robbers in the night, sorry, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Thank you, Brooke. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I've got a fun sermon today after that reading. (laughs) We're in a series called One Hit Wonders looking and tackling the books that are so often overlooked in the Bible. Uh, Books like Obadiah, we've heard about from Philemon, we've heard from 2 John, 3 John. Uh, But 
To begin today's sermon, I want to tell you about the Maginot Line. Any World War II history buffs aware of the Maginot Line? A few couple, that's good. There was more in the evening, which I'm a bit surprised. Who knows about the Maginot Line? Hands high. All right, that's a bit better. Yeah, a few more. So the Maginot Line, could I have that first image, Tim? The Maginot Line is uh, the, the defensive line between France and Germany during World War II. After what France learned in World War I about trench warfare, they invested all this effort into the Maginot Line, the, the, line, the border defence between France and Germany. And when it came to World War II, uh, this line was the Rolls-Royce of defensive positions. It had all the latest technology, all the latest weaponry. It had air conditioning, which in the 1930s, 1940s was a big deal. Like Everything is air conditioning these days. But back then, nothing did, except for the Maginot Line. And uh, they, this line was impenetrable. It was completely uh, impenetrable to land assaults, air assaults, sea assaults. wasn't relevant. There was no sea. But it was, it was just this absolute powerhouse of defence between on the border of France and Germany. Now, during this time, Belgium to the north was asking the French for help, uh, for uh, support and resources, and, but France was focused on their own front, the Maginot Line. Now, what happened was Germany invaded Belgium and then invaded France from the north. And this line, this defence that they put so much effort in, never actually saw a battle. They never saw a battle. They put all this effort, all this like really powerful position. Look at what they produced. Look how great it was. Look how strong they are. But it came to nothing. Their pride was their downfall. Their downfall was focusing on themselves. Now we're coming to this book in the Old Testament, Obadiah. Obadiah is a minor prophet. And a minor prophet doesn't mean it's unimportant. A minor prophet just means it's short. There's major prophets that are long. Minor prophets are short. All of them are important. And if you still haven't found Obadiah in your Bible, that's completely fine because it's probably the hardest book to find in the Bible. So if, if you find yourself in the Old Testament around Hosea, the minor prophets go Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Uh, so there's a little hint to find it. Uh, it's a very distinctive book. One being a, a minor prophet, being one chapter long, that's a little bit distinctive. It's also, um, there's very little known about Obadiah himself. Like the, the name means uh, a servant of God, and there's a few other people called uh, Obadiah in the Bible, but there's, there's very, very little we know about Obadiah, pretty much except for his name. It's also... A distinct book because the entire book is written to the nation of Edom. The entire book is written to a community outside of the Israelite people. All other prophets and all other writing in the Old Testament is written to the Israelite people. Now, there's parts that are refer and, and direct to two other nations, but Obadiah is the only book that's written entirely to someone outside 
of Israel to the nation of Edom. Now, who is the nation of Edom, I hear you ask? Excellent question at this point of the sermon. Can I have the second image? Edom, the kingdom of Edom is that uh, the kingdom south of Israel, the yellow kingdom there to the south. Uh, now, the, ki- the nation of Edom are descendants of Esau. Israel are descendants of Jacob. Now, Jacob and, Is- Jacob and Esau were brothers, and uh, God promised that Jacob would be the one that God would bless and would make a nation through, uh, but Jacob and Esau are brothers. And if you were to go back and read Israelites, Israel's history between Israel and Edom and then Jacob and Esau's uh, relationship, there's a lot of parallels, which we won't go into. But one, one thing about uh, the nation of Edom is they were regarded highly of all the nations outside of Israel because, of, because they were related, because of their relationship. This was Israel's brother nation. And brothers, you know, brothers fight. It's not where I got my black eye from. Uh, (laughs) It's just a woodworking mishap. But brothers fight. But brothers are meant to have each other's back. Family, we're meant to take care of each other. We're meant to have each other's back. But that was not the case of Edom and the nation of Israel. Edom, um, at different points, uh, when Babylon uh, attacked Israel... Edom didn't help them at all. And in fact, would, as Israel, Israelites tried to flee to the south, Edom would capture them and then give them to Babylon. When, Edom, when Israel was traveling through the desert from Egypt, trying to get through to the nation of, of Israel, to the promised land, Edom wouldn't let them through. And so again and again, this nation that was meant to be brothers or brother or sister nation to Israel betrayed Israel. And God has a message for Edom. And his message is, verse 3 in Obadiah, the pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And verse 4, though you soar like an eagle in the heights and you make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. God has a message for Edom, and that's judgment on Edom's pride. He rallies the troops. He's, he's gathering the nations figuratively in verse 1 and 2. And he's, he's coming for them because of their pride. God is angry against the pride of Edom. Pride is a really complex word, especially today for, for millennia. It's Pride was a negative term, but recently it's been co-opted as a a positive thing. Pride, um, if you were to define it, uh, and and I googled some definitions, one definition is the feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from your own achievements or achievements of those who are closely associated or from qualities or possessions that uh, give you pleasure, that's admired. Another, another definition is the consciousness of your own dignity. And that sounds like a good thing. But where is that dignity coming from? Where are we placing that value and purpose and meaning? Pride is placing that in me. That comes from me and what I do and what I have and who I associate with. 
What we'll see as we read through this book is pride is captivating. There's a lot of reasons to be proud. We'll also see pride is corrupting. Pride will be judged and pride can be redeemed. So if you're taking notes, there are the titles, the headings we'll be working through. The first thing, pride is captivating. The pride of your heart has deceived you. They're caught into it. They've been captivated into it. There's something exciting and alluring with pride. And if you, you read between the lines of, of how Edom is being judged, you can see that there's lots of reasons for Edom to be proud. They've got lots of things going for them. The situation is great where, where they're situated as a nation south of Israel, up in the mountains. They have a really defensible position to other nations. It's also a path that, um, that people traveling from the north and north of Israel, traveling through to Egypt, have to go through Edom. So economically, it's a really, uh, really economic and prosperous place. There's lots of things going uh, for Edom. And as, and as we read and we hear how they're being judged for their pride, you can tell the things that they're putting their trust in and that those things they put their trust in are becoming their downfall. So like their situation, the high places that they, they live in, the strategic and, and economic advantage, their privilege, if you put it that way, that's from that very place, they will be brought low. Also, their associations. It, it, verse 7 talks about their, their allies will force them to the border. Their friends will deceive and overpower them. Their, the nation of Edom put, put their trust in their association through other nations that could get them what they want. Though Israel were their brother, they sided with Babylon. Because they saw, if I side with the big guy, with the bully, then I'll be all right. I'll be protected. I'll get what I want. This is a prosperous nation. I can benefit from that. It's the saying, you know, it's, not, it's about who you know. If you know the right people, you'll get what you want. They put their pride in who they knew, their associations. They put their pride in their possessions, Obadiah talks about if thieves came to you and if robbers come in the night, and he describes a situation when a robber comes and uh, enters into your house and, and takes things, they, they take a few things, but there's usually something less. There's some things that are of no value that they leave, and usually they just take a lot of things, but there's some things left. But for Edom, they'll take everything. They will come and they will take everything. Verse 6, but how Esau will be ransacked, the hidden treasures pillaged. Even their most treasured things that are hidden away and protected will be taken away. They put their trust in their possessions, what they have, that will be gone. They put their trust in capabilities. Verse 8 speaks of uh, the wise men who live in Edom. Intelligent, wise, full of understanding. Also talks about their warriors, their tough people who are strong and fierce and brave. But I love the, the, how the, their warriors uh, are described. Warriors, Taman, referring to Edom, will be terrified. 
Your big, strong, brave men will whimper like puppy dogs. Like They'll be terrified. Putting their trust in tough people and wise people and what they're able to do. There's lots of reasons for Edom to become proud, to take pleasure and satisfaction in their own achievements, to, to find value and purpose and meaning in, in the situation they're in in the people they know, in the things that they can do, the things they do do. And this pride breeds independence, self-sufficiency, success. One um, uh, contemporary philosopher, if you call it that, or influencer, uh, says, if you believe in yourself and have dedication and pride and never quit, you'll be a winner. The price of victory is high, but so are the rewards. The price of victory is high, but so are the rewards. But is, is the price actually worth the reward? Developing a sense of identity and value that comes from within, that comes from me, it depends on me. And depends on what I think and feel. And I don't know about you, but what I think and feel is not reliable. It changes day to day. Jeremiah says, don't trust your own hearts. Because they're deceptive. And there's, there's a thing about pride that goes even deeper than what we think about ourselves and boasting in ourselves. And this is something that over ever done, Dave has been diving into uh, in, in his series, Pride and Promise. But even, even deeper than talking ourselves up is pride is defining for ourselves what is right and wrong based on our own standards, convenience and convictions. We get to say what's right. We get to define ourselves. We get to say who we are and what we deserve, and what's our right. And this, this kind of thinking, this attitude, we can see it a lot out in the world. Of course we can. It doesn't take much. I'm sure, like I, I, you know, if I say think of a proud person, I'm sure we can think of many, many people. But this is also an issue in the church. This is also an issue here. A sense of self-sufficiency, independence, self-righteousness. Pride is something that's celebrated throughout the world. It's invading the church. Pride is what Edom is being judged for. And pride is captivating. There's lots of reasons to be proud. But pride is also corrupting. Pride is corrupting. If you read on in, in 10 uh, through to 14, you can see like what, what had Edom's pride corrupted them into. Uh, like I said before, brothers fight, but they're meant to have each other's back. Yet Edom, what's described here is they betray Israel. And when Babylon comes they, to drag uh, Israel away, drag Jacob away, they... They don't come and help. In fact, they boast. They celebrate Israel's misfortune, Israel's uh, conquering, Israel's disaster. 
And when they try and, and escape south through Edom, Edom captures them, waiting at the crossroads, cutting down the fugitives. Verse 14. And they handed over the survivors. Their pride corrupted this, this nation, nation of Edom, the descendant of Esau, the brother of Israel, to become violent, greedy, betraying their own brothers. Pride is corrupting. When we draw our value, worth, and identity from within ourselves, that pride corrupts our relationships. It corrupts our very soul. Pride leads to conflict. When, when our values from within and, and from what's mine and what I do and from how I define things, then I've got to protect that at all costs. So we fight for what's ours. We protect what's ours. And when we're challenged or corrected, we get defensive and justify our own actions and justify our position rather than listening, considering and repenting. Pride leads to isolation. If, if my value and, and worth comes from within, I can't let anyone know that it's less than what it might be, what I'm portraying out there. And so I can't let people know where I'm struggling, where I'm hurting, where, where I'm, I'm not able to, to live up to the standard I think I need to live up to. That could mean many different things. It could be struggles with porn, struggles with anger, struggles with relationships, hurt we feel. Recently, um, uh, at a staff meeting, I, I, I had, we had, we, we worship word prayer and all staff gathered together to, to worship, to pray and read the Bible together. And that morning, I had a doctor's appointment uh, to put on a blood pressure monitor to have all day. Because uh, I uh, have a few last few times at the uh, the doctors, I had high blood pressure. So like, oh, let's check this out. Might be something there. And I, I put this blood pressure monitor. Anyone who's had this done before can probably relate. I put it on on on, on my arm, and then put a jumper over, it, and then put a jacket over the jumper, so it was really unnoticeable. Just looked like I had big arms that day. <laughs> and I, it was something I didn't really want to share with anyone. I don't really want anyone to know that. I've got health issues. I'm a, I'm a fit, healthy young pastor. I, I've, you know, I'm all fine. And it was in the middle of... Um, uh, it, it goes every half hour. And it, it, was, it was in the middle of um, a time where I was make, sharing a reflection on the passage we were reading. And then it just started buzzing. Bzzz. <laughs> I'm like, do I ignore it? Do I pretend it's my phone? Do I? <laughs> and uh, and because I was like kind of stressed at that moment, it didn't really work, so we did it again. <laughs> and so I shared. Sorry, excuse that. It's blood pressure monitor. I'm... I didn't want anyone to know that I had health issues. Like, it was my pride that was keeping me from sharing that with other people. And I had to work through my pride to, to, to share that with people. I actually share some of my, my own health journey uh, with others. And, you know, in, in this, the uh, small group we meet in, in our huddle, guys uh, I um, read the Bible with, I've shared 
you know, I, I need to lose some weight. I need to get more healthy. I need to change my life habits. And that's, that's embarrassing to share because of my pride. But by doing that, I've actually opened myself up to people who can help me, people who can um, support me in that. So pride, can you see how pride can lead to isolation? Our pride can lead to isolation. It can also lead to bitterness. You see how the, the behavior of Edom changed so dramatically, uh, but it can change us as well in subtle ways. We become bitter because we haven't got what we feel is right for ourselves. Then we, we kind of get happy when other people experience misfortune because I had, to, I had to experience that so they can experience it as well. We become greedy, become selfish. And it's pride that's causing that. Pride can also lead to anxiety. And it's not that all anxiety uh, has its root in pride, but if you pro- follow pride to the end of the road, you will find anxiety and depression and despair. Because if our sense of identity or worth comes from within ourselves, that's not reliable. We'll be putting our trust and relying on something that will not satisfy, that will ultimately not fulfill us. And there'll be gaps, and we'll get anxious about those gaps. And when, when what we feel we deserve and feel we write and we need in order to be a person of value and integrity and, and identity, and that doesn't happen, then that, that leads us to despair. That leads us to questions, why, why isn't my life all great and awesome? Why aren't I getting that thing I deserve? Why aren't they treating me in this way? Why, why can't I live up to this standard? It, it becomes about us and it leads to questions where we only, the answers only can end in despair and sadness. As caused by pride. Again, not all depression or anxiety is caused by pride, but if you follow pride to the end of the road, that's what you'll find. Pride is captivating. There's a lot of reasons to be proud. Pride is corrupting. Pride will be judged. Verse 15 and 16 speaks of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. The day of the Lord, this day that's a big theme in the Old Testament prophets, a day of justice. What what Edom had done to others, that will be done to them. The wrongs they've done, that will be made right. It's also a day of judgment. Verse 16, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They'll drink and drink and it will be as, the, as if they'd never been. That drink it's referring to is the drink of God's judgment. The cup of wrath. It's known in, certain, in, in other places. And it's not just Edom, but all nations who have turned away from God, who have chosen for themselves what is right and wrong, put their sense of identity and value and purpose in themselves and not God who created them. That will be judged. That will be judged. Now, we love to think about justice for others, justice for the poor, the hurting, the weak. We love to think about justice for ourselves, 
that the ways we've been wrong, those things will be made right. But we don't like thinking about justice against ourselves. That the times that we have caused hurt in others, that will be made right. That wrong, which is mine, will be corrected and corrected through judgment. We don't like being held accountable for our own sin and pride, our prideful disobedience of God. And the solution to pride is judgment. The solution to to the proud is God will make them low. The solution to pride is judgment. But the question is, do we face that judgment or do we trust in the substitute for us? Pride is captivating. Pride is corrupting. Pride will be judged, but pride can be redeemed. And it comes to the, the beautiful ending of this book. Before uh, Obadiah has been talk, talking about Mount Esau and the pr- pride of those who, who live on that mountain. Uh, and that on that mountain, they will face their judgment. But there's another mountain. Verse 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. On the other mountain, Mount Zion. Zion is a a term used to refer to Jerusalem, like that special place of God's people. On that mountain, God will save his people. And on that mountain, he will restore his people. Verse uh, 18 through to 21 talks of... of, um, Edom being judged and Jacob being restored, Israel being restored uh, from all the scattering and exile and horrible things that have happened to them. They will be restored. So people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. The company of Israel's verse 20, Israelites who were exiled, uh, who in, sorry, this company of Israel exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land. They'll come back and possess the land. Israel will be saved. Israel will be restored. But it's careful, we've got to be careful to note that it's not because they got it all right. It's not because Israel figured out how not to be proud and lived great lives, and therefore God saved them. God restored them. Because Obadiah doesn't go into it. This, this book is speaking to Edom. It's not speaking to Israel. We look at the other books speaking to Israel. It's very clear that Israel also had a pride issue. That Israel, maybe even worse, because they had the presence of God in the temple. They had the law, and yet they kept turning away from God and going their own way. Israel had potentially an even worse pride issue than the other nations. So it wasn't because Israel figured it out and got it right that they were saved. They were saved because God chose them and God promised that he would save them. They were saved because of God's love and grace, not because of who they were or their attitude or their actions. The solution to pride is judgment. But the question is, who faces that judgment? Us? or the substitute provided for us. The way that God saves Israel, the way that God saves 
all nations, anyone who's proud and gone our own way because we think we can get it right, we know what's right, which is all of us, the way he saves us is by Jesus who died on Mount Zion, on the mountain of Jerusalem, just outside of that, at Golgotha, the, the place where Jesus was crucified. The night before Jesus was crucified and killed on our behalf, he prays to God. He says, God, let this cup pass from me. And that cup he's talking to is the cup of God's wrath. Now, he's not saying that I want out. He's saying, this is a big deal. This is heavy. Gosh, we heard about it, didn't we, from Harry in the message today. It's got, Jesus dying on the cross was 10 times, 100 times worse than anyone else could have experienced because he took on the punishment for our pride, our sin. Jesus is the substitute, and he substitute his life to pay the penalty, the debt, the judgment on our behalf so that we could be saved, so that we could be adopted into God's family. And when we recognize that, that we're saved through Jesus' work, that he died for me. It's not about me figuring it out and getting there, but he died for me. It's his grace and love that saved me. When we realize that, that's a work of the Spirit drawing us in. That's a work of God calling us into his family, that we could be forgiven, that we could be saved, that we are children of God. We cannot save ourselves. We desperately need God. The opposite of pride is humility. And humility is stepping out of that position of self-dependence and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness into a place of deep neediness and submission to God. It's finding our worth and value and purpose and identity in what God has done, not us. So we are fulfilled and freed not to have to fight and protect and, and, and kind of build that line between, uh, between the world and our hearts. We don't have to sacrifice others for our own pleasure and satisfaction. Humility is submitting ourselves to God, submitting ourselves to others. Because pride is a lie. Pride is a lie. The sense of self-sufficiency, independence, self-righteousness, it's not true. We can't be self-sufficient. We can't be self-righteous. We can't be truly independent because we need God. There's two mountains before us. There's two mountains. The first one is Mount Edom, Mount Esau. That has everything this world has to offer. All of our achievements, our success, the work and the things that we've done to earn the right to have a place here. There's power and control. There's an impenetrable defense 
our own version of the Maginot line that we've built to protect our hearts, to protect ourselves. It's the mountain of pride. And that's the very thing that the enemy will come through and get us with, is our own pride. There's also Mount Zion, the mountain where the God of the universe humbled himself, gave up everything that he had, gave up his privilege of being the very son of God, gave up all his possessions, gave up his very life so that he could be the substitute for us. And he dies for us. And he invites us to put our trust in him. And invites us to be a child of God. To, vi- to find our purpose and value and meaning in what he's done for us, in who he is. It's not up to us. That, that line we've built around our hearts can be let go. We can hand ourselves over entirely in full submission to God, the God who loves us and saves us. It's time to lay down our pride and pick up the cross, giving our lives to Jesus because he gave his life for us. God's given everything so that we could be saved. Everything. And everything we might have, everything we might have to our own names, is worth nothing in comparison to what we have in Jesus. His love and grace and forgiveness can free us from our own pride. can free us from the corrupting effects of pride. Our pride can be redeemed. On Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just humble ourselves. Lord, we do confess to you that we have a pride issue, that I have a pride issue. There have been times where I've put myself first. There have been times that I've wanted to make myself known. There's times where I've only thought about how this affects me and not given thought to how things affect others. And Lord, I want to confess that to you, that I um, really struggle with pride. And Lord, as a church, we, wanna, we all want to confess that we all really struggle with pride. And Lord, we recognize that you are angry at our pride. Rightfully so. Lord, we thank you that that anger is not out to get us. That anger is, a, is an instrument of your love. That, that out of love, you you do judge us. And Lord, we thank you that out of love, you sent Jesus to take that judgment for us. 
so that we could be freed from ourselves, freed from that sinful, prideful, selfish nature. Lord, we pray our fate would not be that of Edom's, completely destroyed. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that our fate is tied up with your son, Jesus, who died and rose again. Lord, we pray that we would let go of our sense of self-righteousness, self-dependency, independently. Lord, let us grab hold of a sense of neediness, of brokenness, of dependence on you. And Lord, from that, help us to be open and honest with one another. Help us to be quick to listen and, and slow to anger. Help us to not be isolated, but actually reach out where we need help. Lord, help us to, to manage conflict better. Help us to forgive as you forgave us. And Lord, we, we thank you that we thank you for a book of Obadiah. And yeah, though it's, it's tough to work through. This is heavy stuff. But Lord, in your word is life. And we thank you that you show us a compelling image of, of, of Jesus who died for us so that we could be saved, not from our own effort, but from what you've done. And Lord, we pray every day we'd be reminded of that. And every day we'd grow closer and closer with you, in dependence on you. And Lord, we do pray to be freed from our pride and all those parts of ourselves where we've built up walls around ourselves to protect ourselves, that those things will be broken down and we hand ourselves over to who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, through that, heal our relationships with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.